This is episode 137 of the Dear Discreet Guide podcast. This episode is titled, Dirty Jobs, The Show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Dear Discreet Guide, Trouble at Work, where we talk about work, working, and how to make work better. If it's work-related, we're on it. Who knew talking about work would be this much fun? I'm Jennifer Crittenden, a former CFO and host of the show, and thank you for joining our quest to improve our workplaces. Let's do this. I'm delighted to welcome a new guest to the show today. Uh, Dave Barsky is with us, and I actually learned about Dave because I started thinking, you know, I'd like to talk about some really weird jobs on the podcast. Like who has some really strange jobs that you wouldn't even think of? So of course I went to the internet and one of the first things that popped up was this TV show called Dirty Jobs. And Dave was actually the field producer for that show. I'll introduce him or at least what I know about him. He was educated at Syracuse University, which is a strange coincidence because we've just had several guests on the show from Syracuse University. It seems to be Syracuse University's moment on the podcast. And then, Dave, you've been a producer, supervising producer, co-executive producer, all kinds of different roles in television. And I have to confess that although Dirty Jobs is pretty famous, like most of the people I've talked to knew about it right away, I'm pretty clueless when it comes to television, as my listeners know. So I actually hadn't heard about the show before, but now I've had a chance to learn more about it. So welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much, Jennifer, for having me. I'm, I'm, I really love talking about uh, my work, especially Dirty Jobs. Uh, it, it was seven years of my career in television and uh you know, it, it seems, uh, you know, in this, this age we're living in now in 2020, uh, a lot of people are really starting to recognize some of the things we highlighted on the show. So it's rather apropos. Yeah, right. Exactly. The more I learned about the show, it was like, well, this is exactly why I wanted to talk about this issue on the show is these kind of behind the scenes jobs that are so crucial for our society, but we don't necessarily know very much about them. Now, the first one I got to see just a portion of on YouTube, and it's about this bat biologist outside of Austin, Texas, and he goes down into a cave with, well, I should mention, so Mike Rowe is kind of the apprentice on the show, and he gets thrown into all these terrible situations, including going down into this bat cave. And several of the scenes in there where you see just millions of bats flying all around everywhere reminded me of that scene you know, that really traumatic childhood scene out of Batman with, that leaves him, you know, permanently scarred, so to speak. And that, it just goes on and on. Like the floor is covered with all this bat poop. And then there are these <laughs> beetles in there that are eating the bat poop, but they expel a whole bunch of ammonia. And so you have to go in there with a respirator. And also the bats are peeing on you. It, it's just 
it, it, it's just horrible. And the guy, the uh, biologist who is the reason that these guys are going into this cave is wearing like protective gear. But Mike actually goes in just with his t-shirt. And so I was curious to hear a little bit more about that episode because Austin is known for its bats. And I didn't know if there was any sort of correlation between the bats that live under the bridges in Austin or what got you guys interested in, in this bat thing. Well, yeah, certainly. Uh, yeah. And, and, and don't worry about not knowing much about television. You're probably better off than most of us if you don't. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, all these producer titles are quite nebulous from television show to television show. So, I mean, the, you know, my, my title alone evolved as we started the show, you know, and, and continued on. But as far as, you know, that episode, that was actually one of the first three hours of Dirty Jobs that we did. Um, oh. Yeah. And, 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 Oh, three, we, uh, the show was ordered, uh, based on a show that Mike Rowe did, uh, as a segment in, in a local TV station up in San Francisco. Hmm. And, uh, he eventually sold the show to discovery channel and they ordered three of them and they didn't, they didn't, they didn't, uh, popularize the show. They didn't publicize the show at all. They, they didn't even call it the name of the show in the TV guide. It, it was just under this umbrella called discovery zone. Oh, um, on at like 10 PM on Friday nights when no one was watching TV. <sighs> and, and so we had those three episodes, three weeks in a row. I think it was November of Oh three. They actually aired and, um, it really took off. It actually rated, you know, cause it was just an interesting visuals involved and interesting jobs and interesting people. Mm-hmm. So that was actually one of the first ones we did. And, you know, back then, you know, this sort of immersive television was really unknown to mm-hmm. a lot of people. I mean, there was, you know, you know, someone like George Plimpton who would go around, you know. Right. He's a big hero of Mike's. So, uh, you know, Mike kind of modeled the show after that. But, you know, as far as this Wild West years of television as far as cable television goes and having someone who's so immersive and actually does all this stuff. uh, We didn't know what the heck we were doing. And we had a very small uh, budget and a very small crew to help us out and do this research. So, you know, Hey, a guy goes in and he's getting peed on by bats and (laughs) and let's go do it. That sounds like a dirty (laughs) job. Yeah, it's definitely dirty. Yeah, I mean, so it's just a small crew. There was just me and a cameraman and Mike who went and we picked up a local audio guy. But back in the office is an editor, sure, but there was only one researcher. And, you know, God bless her. She did a great job and she found some amazing things. But, you know, she didn't know exactly all the questions to ask, you know, after the basic gist of the job. Like, what are we supposed to wear to go in there? Yeah, right, know? right. So literally, you know, we, we we early on, Mike and I realized we had to play it. You know, we just like warts and all we like to say is like if we screw up we're going to put it on the show no matter what and that became a running theme where sometimes we're not exactly prepared for everything and <laughs> and but that but that i think adds to the authenticity of uh, of really the, the immersive nature of the show and what mike has to do and, and and what these people have to do on a daily basis to really help us understand how crazy this might be or how unique this might be and how specialized this might be for certain people who do these jobs. And, and, and if we're so unprepared, it helps accentuate that. 
Well, it definitely lands to the vicariousness of it, right? Because you suddenly see, as you say, in this kind of low light, it's like, oh my God, he's wearing a t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Austin, yeah, it, it's it's, it's kind of crazy. As you said, you know, Austin is very famous for these. I, I actually have, uh, by, by marriage, I have family in Austin. I've, I've mm. seen the bats quite a bit. And uh, they are part of the colony. I guess originally this is in Bracken Cave, halfway between Austin and San Antonio, about an hour's drive south. Uh-huh. And yeah, giant cave. And this... The main uh, the main colony, I guess, lives there. Forty million bats, and so and they've been there for years. And they used to mine. The, the, you know, we we don't call it poo for some reason. Bat poop is called guano for some reason. Oh, yeah, right. Guano. And uh, they they used to mine that for fertilizer from that very cave. But they don't do that anymore. The old mine shaft was still there uh, at the top at the end. But we went through the main mouth of the cave where the bats exit every day. Uh, they they go they leave every night all of them to go feed and then they come back you know they're nocturnal of course so they come back before dawn, but yeah we're wading through what we estimated well Jim Kennedy estimated he was the bat biologist we went in with mm-hmm. Jim uh, estimated it was about at certain points it was forty feet deep of bat poop oh my god and you know these bats are waking up to go feed and they're peeing and pooing on us they're giving birth on us you know oh, I mean geez. all this kind of stuff. You know, it's funny. It's like people think bats and they think of rabies, you know, this sort of that stigma. And I remember him saying, well, look, you don't really have to worry about rabies with bats because only really 1% of, of bats have rabies. And I'm thinking, okay, but there's 40 million bats. Yeah, right. in this game. That's still a heck of a lot of, a, that's a lot of rabies, <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, you know, it was, we were just totally unprepared. In fact, you know, the audio guy actually elected to grab some trash bags. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, we picked up a local audio guy and he put these trash bags on and, uh, it, it, he, he did it in such a way to cover his head that it, it actually broke the seal of the mask he was wearing oh. and he had trouble breathing when we were like at the bottom of the cave. Oh, so wow. we, we had to cut it short. Meanwhile, Mike's got his boots, boots stuck in there and, you know, <laughs> we had to get him out before he suffocated. And, uh, so it was, it got kind of hairy, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, quite quickly actually. But it's, it's a, you know, a lot of people do ask about that episode still to date. I mean, it's now 17 years since we've shown mm-hmm, that. Right. And it, it's just a fascinating and unique job. And one that, you know, as, as you say, the reason you have me on here is not too many people think about it all. But the main reason is, you know, he goes into to evaluate the health of the colony because they are part of the ecosystem there. Uh-huh. And so, yeah, I'm sure you have these fantastic stories to tell. So I hope we can hear some more. We could do 12 parts just on the show, <laughs> right. quite frankly, if you want to. I'm, I'm game. <laughs> okay. So, but tell me how you found out about jobs in general. So it started with this researcher, it sounds like? Yes. She did a lot of the research. I, you know, I'd tool around sometimes on the internet to look for stuff if I wasn't, you know, out shooting but that she did a lot of that stuff. And to the point, once after the show started airing, people would be calling us and saying, Hey, oh, mm-hmm. I, I got a dirty job. Uh, <laughs> that, you, 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 what you've shown is nothing. So, yeah, far. right. <laughs> you know, and, and honestly, we estimated probably towards the end of the show, our, our show was being programmed 80% by viewers. Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I mean, sure, not all of them qualified, you know, and not all knew what was what we needed for TV. And we wanted some good characters and some of the things we've already done before and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, at that point, yeah, we we were probably, you know, we did seven seasons in total. And I would say by the end of the second season, we were getting calls left and right. And a lot of them were being programmed by the people who watched the show. 
Oh, that's really cool. There's a funny story about Mike uh, pitching the show to Comedy Central. <laughs> they replied by saying, at this time, our fall schedule does not allow for a talk show that takes place inside a septic tank. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny. We always refer to it as, you know, it's a, it's, it is a basically a talk show because we're learning about these people, most importantly, who these characters are, who do these jobs and get a fundamental understanding of the process of their job, mm -hmm. uh, you know, by Mike trying it. But we always said it's basically a talk show in a sewer, you know, and, <laughs> and, and people recognize that early on, <laughs> whether for good or for bad. And you have to understand, it was so unique back then and such a, a different thing. I mean, there were so many places who we called saying we'd like to profile them and they'd be like, what's the name of your show? Are you kidding me? Mm -hmm. The opposite happened, you know, they, they were then, then the people who wanted to be on the show, there were people saying, no way, we, we, we can't be associated with this. We'll get closed down by the EPA or whatever. Oh, I see. Right. But, you know, I think that sort of tailed off once, you know, especially that, that was especially a problem with food and, mm -hmm. and, and jobs around food and processing food. Uh, they're like, no way we, you got, what are you guys doing? Some sort of expose. They thought it was like, we're going right. to, you know, just totally destroy their industry and things like that. And uh, that wasn't once they understood what we were trying to do with the show and they watched it and was on for a couple of years. We, we didn't encounter that as much because people understand we were being very earnest about um, profiling people and, and help them publicize who they mm -hmm. were and, and make people understand how important their jobs were. Yeah, there's a episode that I ran across after I composed my questions to you that is not quite cleaning out a septic tank, but it's involving cleaning these sewage processing ponds and equipment. I think it was in Colorado. And I have to say, it was very eye-opening, right? Just the process that the guys have to go through to clean out all the crap that gets, not just crap, but that's the problem, not just yeah. crap, but all the other stuff that gets flushed down toilets, including like plastic bags and tampons and dollar bills. And, but, but the fact that it's on video, right? I mean, it just brings home, wow, this is really happening. You put stuff down the toilet that shouldn't be put down the toilet. This is what happens. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It's a very good point. I mean, that stuff, I mean, quite frankly, crap is the easy thing to clean, you right. know, because uh, those systems are made for that. Mm -hmm. But people throw all kinds of matter. And there is certain understanding that now, we, you know, especially nowadays, we have more biodegradable papers that are okay to throw down and toilet paper, we understand, is easily, uh, easily degrades in the systems. But yeah, for all the all the plants that we saw, we did, you know, certain ones in San Francisco, we did that unit in, in, in Rifle, Colorado, right off the freeway. You know, you, you pass by these things, you don't have no idea, maybe don't even care what they are, but they, they are, they're a pumping system sometimes for, um, you know, sewage systems. And, uh, yeah, that was a man, that particular episode, uh, that, that the, I guess if you're referring to the one in Colorado, it was the one mm -hmm. we did with a thing called the muffin monster, which yes, is, exactly. the muff, yeah, the muffin monster is uh, a very uh, specific brand of, of, of these units that were made oh. and very carefully engineered so that they can process properly. But like you say, too many people just don't understand what they shouldn't be doing and throwing down their, their toilets. Yeah. And it shows up. I mean, it's not like it vanishes into middle earth. It, it Someone has to cope with that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and some of the jobs aren't just dirty. They're also really dangerous. And I was kind of interested in learning about fishing jobs just because I'd gotten the impression that the 
injury rate and fatality rate for those jobs were really dangerous. And there's one where you guys head out to do some crab fishing in Maryland. Mm-hmm. So, so tell me how dangerous that really was for the cast and crew. You must have started thinking about liability. So how did that all happen? Well, you know, that was another early one that we shot within the first month or so, the, mm. the one, the crabbing in Maryland. And that was, again, another sort of research mess up, uh, you know, I, I, I say, because we just didn't quite know what the right questions were asked. So mm-hmm. when we get out to crabbing in Maryland, you know, the crabs, the season had begun officially with the with the state, I guess, who regulates it or whomever. Mm-hmm. However, they, the crabs were mating at the time, so they weren't really thinking about eating as much, you know? Oh, so we only got like five or six on that day when they usually get tons. Mm. But but to answer your question, you know, there's there's all kinds of different danger. Um, and if you're going out, you know, fishing is a very dangerous job for different reasons. You know, in Maryland, you know, we, we went on a one-man boat basically. And oh. it's built for one man. And we have a crew of five people on there trying <laughs> to maneuver. And, you know, it, thank God, though, uh, you know, the reason why I mentioned the uh, – the fact that it wasn't quite eating season, catching season was just on the, uh, the the first cusp of it. And we weren't catching much is because if we had caught a lot, we would have shrunk in the size we had to operate in that boat, but considerably. Right. And we, we would have been falling over the edge. I mean, it happens anyways, but you know, when you get, you know, these small boats like that and you're just on the bay, it's a little bit more safer, but you know, if you, you mm-hmm. put a crew and you don't know how to, op- uh, I'm sorry, if the fisherman doesn't know how to operate, uh, around a television crew and a television crew doesn't know how to operate on a little crab boat, you know, sure. that's a recipe for disaster. But now when you get a larger fishing boat, we went on one on Alaska uh, mm-hmm. that had a whole processing plant on it. It went out of Dutch Harbor, Alaska, and they caught all kinds of fish uh, uh, out in the ocean and they literally filleted them and, and froze them right on the fish and stored them until they got back home. Cause they were out, you know, weeks on end. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole nother level of danger because mm-hmm. you have higher seas, you have lots of moving mechanical parts, uh, you know, you know, not only up top where all these cables are going around, but also uh, down in the bottom where they're processing and you got all these little, you know, uh, chains that are operating with the uh. conveyor belts and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's tough for a crew when we have to get a shot and we want, we know what angles we have to get. And all of a sudden you put your hand on a moving conveyor belt and you almost get sucked in. Right. So yeah, there's, there's all sorts of dangers. You just, you learn, you know, your environment really quickly because you have to when, you know, especially, you know, if if you're not used to it as a television crew, but when you have so much else to worry about with cameras and stuff like that, you sometimes lose sight, but at the same time, you know, you got to protect yourself as much as possible. I think that's also kind of the hidden part of the show is after a while you realize, wow, there's actually a crew here too, right? Because they're not necessarily on camera. But after a while, you appreciate the fact that, oh, there are a bunch of other people on here besides just Mike. And, you know, it's sort of this whole other level of, oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah, you know, it's funny. We were one of the first shows to really integrate the crew in, in the narrative of whatever story we were you know, trying to tell. Oh. Um, and Mike had a lot to do with that. We just realized how dirty the crew was getting. And a lot of <laughs> people online were saying, Mike's getting dirty. How dirty is the crew getting to, to mm-hmm. get these shots? Mm-hmm. So one time we just, you know, when we understood that people uh, wanted to profile their own jobs, we started initiating at the end of the, each show uh, a call to tape. And we just usually have, um, uh, Mike saying, Hey, 
can you guys, you know, put, you know, put, give us a call, put your show, uh, put your job on a, on a tape and send us a video. We'd mm -hmm. like to see it. Maybe we'll come and visit you. Mm -hmm. Well, at the end of one particular thing we did in Missouri uh, on making charcoal, uh, Mike saw that we were completely covered and he just lined us up and, and talked in mm -hmm. front of us. And, and that was the end of it. I mean, we were, we were, I mean, people start recognizing, you know, me eventually. Cause I, I, I got into a lot of mischief and all the stuff I had to do and falling down and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, you know, I was on the show quite a bit as a lot of our crew was just because, you know, like you said, uh, we got into trouble just because we were trying to get camera shots. Right. Yeah. I think there's one where the, the episode is about the head lice removers, right? Oh, the, yeah. the, the combing people. And you actually show up in that one because they keep saying, don't scratch your head, don't don't scratch your head. And then suddenly you're on camera scratching your head. Everyone's like, no, no. <laughs> yeah, I, I just, it just, I, I was just, it was just hot in there. And I wiped my brow. I lifted my hat up and wiped my brow. And I just, and they looked at me, the, the guy was doing the hair, you know, and I was like, I was like, oh no, I just did it. Didn't I? <laughs> I was like, no. And you know, that was, our, we were up in San, that was up in San Francisco. We were up there for about mm -hmm. a week. And that was the last day of shooting we had before I went home to Los Angeles. And uh, the guy was like, well, look, we need to treat your hair. And you know, cause they're, cause I was touching the towel that they were putting the lights on yeah. so we could shoot it and all that kind oh, of stuff, yeah. you know? So it's like, we need to treat your hair and it takes about a week for the full treatment to happen. And we just got to shave your head. Oh, and I didn't have time to spend, you know, in San Francisco another week getting my hair treated. So I just, I said, shave it. I don't care. It's oh, summer. wow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I just, I, you know, you have to make decisions like that. And it's, it's, it's funny because a lot of, some people had told me that they thought that was like, faked or planned or whatever because oh. I, I i i gave an answer too soon i was like no i i know i can't first of all you know it's not real time in the edit you know when you what you see on the screen so yeah but I, you know i but I, I i i thought about it for a second but i was like no look we just got to do this because i i i don't care i i, I can't stay here for now <laughs> That's really funny. Well, the hair's going to grow back, you know. Right. Uh -huh. You know, and I, and, and, and prior to that, you know, I, I look at a lot of people fear shaving their head, but I, I had it done once before because I went through Army Ranger School uh, oh. uh, following them a few years prior to that. So whatever. It's not a big deal. But, yeah, you make mistakes sometimes. Sure. <laughs> yeah, sure. So I thought at first the show was just kind of sensational, but and it is. But I actually saw then a TED Talk by Mike in which he was talking about the importance and honor of hard work. And he uh, posed this thesis that skilled labor has become kind of denigrated in our society. I think he actually called it a war on labor. It was really interesting to see that, that you guys were thinking about these jobs and about labor and how they fit in the grander picture in our society. Was that a sentiment that grew during the course of the show, or did you start out with this idea about skilled labor? Mike comes from a family that has a history. His grandfather particularly uh, was very um, adamant about uh, working hard and mm -hmm. ingraining that in his family and worked hard and was very skilled at what he does had done as i understand mm -hmm. so mike had always believed that yes and look 
pun excluded, this is it's literally the foundation of our society. These people who build things, these people who keep these systems running. I mean, they're you know, I don't know what percentage you could call it. I mean, it depends on you know what you define as skilled labor and who you categorize as skilled labor, but mm-hmm. literally, I mean these essential workers in this time of lockdowns and cities and things like that are the ones who are still working. Um, you know, they have to be the ones who, you know, who maintain our telephone poles or our sewer systems are plumbers, you know? And yes, it did grow, but it was always there. It was always the underlying theme of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, not to put these people on a pedestal, but to help everybody else understand how important this was. And the comedy of Mike going in and failing on occasion or getting dirty is really, uh, it really show, it really shows the audience how skilled this is when just not anybody can go in and do this. Oh, sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that comes through that. There are certain things that he's just kind of baffled. I I think there's a farrier one, and you oh. know that's 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 a tough job. I've I've worked a lot around horses, so I know how to. It's that impossible. Is. I mean, <laughs> that's what Mike. You want to talk about skill? You know, it's funny. I've said this on Kim. We actually did a thing. Um, we did a lot of look back specials where you know they were just kind of filler where we there, there were compilations of past shows we did. Mm. I mean, literally in the you know in the course of seven years, we probably did about thirty of these because they they were cheap for the network to produce and they still rated. And but we put you know we put wraps uh, in between them with Mike talking on camera about the job or whatever but we did one featuring the crew because you know as we said you know the you know the, the crew started getting featured on camera so each one of the crew picked a job that they have particular memories about oh and i actually picked the farrier oh really I yes see. and i wanted to showcase that because uh it was the first one where, where as a producer in the field i actually said you know what Mike doesn't necessarily have to succeed at the job mm-hmm. to make it a good show. And in fact, it might be just the opposite. Now, you know, look, we never, we never pretended at anything. We never set up anything. We never scripted anything, mm-hmm. but Mike just couldn't do that. He did what he could. And he, you know, he burnt his, his eyes on that show. It was just a massacre pretty much. Mm-hmm. And, and he really failed. He just couldn't get most of the work done because it, it, it takes real training to forge a horseshoe or whatever a farrier might do, mm-hmm. but it was still an entertaining show. And it really showed the, the society at large, who, you know, well, at least our viewers, how mm-hmm. difficult it was. So there were some of the jobs that we're kind of all aware of or vaguely aware of like roofer and the termite uh, treatment people and electrician. What are the ones that you think of as being pretty dangerous and kind of underappreciated by consumers? Well, I mean, I would say those are two different categories. Um, but if, if if danger is a factor, mm-hmm. you know, it's there's there's a lot of a, a lot of danger stuff. Uh, you know, it's it's so funny. I would go out and say, "Oh my God, this is dangerous!" But once you see the people know how to do the thing and have been training for it, uh, they make it look sort of easy on occasion. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I would never <clears throat> want to ever erect a um a radio tower for a cell phone mm-hmm. that is 100 feet high but we did that you know uh and i just have a, a, a kind of a fear of heights which has also unfortunately been uh, promoted on the show oh wow the show I'm, uh, I'm, yeah all my sympathy <laughs> yeah uh but 
it's just dangling from a cable. And, you know, especially when weather can change in North Dakota over the plains in a second, we literally have some, some of the most amazing dramatic footage of, of storm front moving in while we're at the top of this thing. Oh, gee. Uh, you know, we had a helicopter shooting us at the same time on occasion while we're up there oh. and, you know, you know, falling, you know, I'd say falling a hundred feet to your death is, you know, that, that potential is dangerous. Um, but there's other little things like constant burns in a steel mill, for instance, mm-hmm. or, you know, working with snakes uh, that can kill you with, with a bite. Uh, we were down in Australia and we did, you know, we did four shows in Australia for a final season. And we went out with a guy who got house calls to remove the second most deadliest snake in the world oh, from people's homes and people's pools. And, you know, it's not a thing you you can just walk into really. Mm -hmm. But, you know, so we spent some time in this garage. We put this on camera as well of Mike learning how to, you know, protect himself while he tries to grab some of these snakes. So that's, I'd say working animals, you know, are, are, you know, you can take all the caution you want where the the PPE, all the PPE you want in, you know, in a certain uh, industrial environment, but animals are unpredictable. Mm. I mean, I, we were milking a camel and I was, you know, trying to get a shot and I was sort of underneath it and the camel just kicked mm-hmm. and uh, the the hoof came three inches from my head yeah, and hit the wall behind me and with a big thud. And I, I heard the thud, but I, I didn't see the foot come by. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think any animal job with a big animal or, you know, a deadly snake, I think those are the most underappreciated things. It's interesting. I you know, one of the things that I uh, watch because of my kids' interest in the sport is snowboarding. And so they, those snowboarders do just these ridiculous tricks, right? These crazy, you know, way high in the air. But I mean, although the condition of the snow and the jumps can be different, it's pretty, it's a pretty static environment. And after a while, you do understand that it's less dangerous for them than it looks because they have worked up to this. As you say, mm-hmm. they've practiced and trained and so forth. So they have a lot of experience with how this trick is going to go. But yeah, totally different to work with animals. Yeah. Uh, you, you, you can never control them. They have minds of their own. I mean, I mean, we see it even with animals that are supposedly trained, you know, in circuses and things, you know, they mm-hmm. eventually get fed up or frustrated or whatever. And, you know, um, you, you, you can never know. That's crazy. So the premise of the show is that Mike is going to come in and work as an apprentice to the, to the guy with the dirty job on that day. And so part of the fun of the show is watching him try to do something he's never done before. And he just strikes me as an incredible good sport. And how did you manage to make that part of the show? It's just who he is. I mean, Mm -hmm. it, you know, Again, we, we it's something we call immersive television, where a, a host goes in and and applies himself to whatever someone else is doing. There's there's other shows like it now. You know, you know, they're not just interviewers now. They're people who go uh, and and do jobs and hang out with people or try their crazy sports. Mm. And uh, you know, we were one of the first to do that, and it, it was just it always supposed to be an integral part of the show. And Mike has always been a curious guy who appreciated work like that and likes talking to people and learning about who they are. Mm-hmm. It seems like a lot of the show comes across as kind of ad lib, uh, which I just can only imagine the challenges that they're 
that that presented. And there are, in fact, some outtakes and some uh, bloopers. But mm-hmm. how did, for you as a producer, how did that make the show easier or harder or more expensive? Or, or what challenges did that present? Well, you know, again, we're, we're a very small crew going out. We're, you know, about five people. We got up to maybe around seven total, including Mike, um, towards the end. But, you know, it's cheaper to travel for sure. Mm. Um, but it's harder to operate sometimes when there's lo- uh, huge logistics involved in certain jobs. Uh, you know, going from point A to point B, if you have to travel on uh, vehicles, uh, if you have to travel on animals, you know, <laughs> it, it, it just depends. And it, it takes time with less, less amount of hands on deck. But I, I enjoy that. You know, it, it, look, we, <laughs> we barely produced a show. Um, like I said, we just understood what the job was and it was pitched to the network on one sheet of paper, a couple of paragraphs, and they would say, yeah, that sounds like a good, it would make a good show. And, bef- you know, the researcher did most of that and she did the write-ups and I would just, uh, as the field producer, I would go out uh, and I didn't, I, I'd call them, uh, call whoever we were, we were visiting and I, I'd only talk to them five minutes because I'd say, look, I don't know anything until I see it. And I don't, I don't, you know, I don't want to try to understand what you do in a conversation. I, I'll just, I just want to introduce myself and say hi, and and I'll see you the day before because I'd go out by myself beforehand, just so we knew where we had to be. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, the, what the process, if there was a process to their job, wh- where the, you know, the good light was because we didn't have lights at all. You know, we had maybe one on occasion if you know, we'd have to bring if there was a dark, but you know, we we weren't this big set at all. So, you know, I I would just go out and I I figure out what the process we what what our next step would be. And a lot of times I find like these people just, they were so used to their jobs. They didn't understand what would be cool for us to see or what would make good television. That's boring. But, you know, but, and and on, 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 in in places like larger factories are also a lot of people on it have to see and, and, talk to beforehand to see who could talk on television, have a good conversation with Mike. Mm-hmm. That, so we, you know, to help us learn what the job was. So there was that kind of pre-production, absolutely no scripting. You know, I just, the next day we'd, you know, the rest of the crew would show up, we'd go in and I, you know, okay, this is how we start. And this is, this guy's going to take you around and he's going to show you what to do. And this is, we go from here, from here, from here. And that's it. I mean, they owned it. It was their job. Whomever we were visiting, it was their job. So they had to teach Mike as if he was, a small child learning the job for the first time. I'm just sitting here shaking my head. I, I can't even imagine how you were able to produce these shows that look really pretty darn good. Well, there thank you. Just, there must have just been incredible hurdles that you were, you know, decision making on the spot. I just can't even imagine. Well, I mean, I guess that's kind of what a producer does. I mean, I can't speak for all my producer friends or all my producer enemies either. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, I, you know, it's funny. You know, I, I have friends who are in scripted television, you know, dra- dramatic hourly uh, television, things like that. And, you know, some of them want to get into documentaries. But, you know, it's funny when when you when you do scripted television, you uh, start with a blank page. You start with nothing. And you, um, you built from there, but you know, they, they look at what I do and they say, you got this whole world and you got to pare it down. They don't, mm-hmm. it's like some big mystery to them. You know, <laughs> I'm oh, like, well, interesting. It, 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 it all depends of, 
of how your mind is set, you know, and I, that's just the way I operate, I guess. And that's why I've been doing okay with it. I see. So you don't feel as though you start from nothing. You feel as though you start from everything. Yeah. I have to oh. pare down and find what the good story is um, and, and help and make sure the audience understands it based on everything that's presented to me. Uh, yeah, I do just the opposite. I mean, yes, I, I, you're right. I do have to, I, I, we don't have a story when we walk in there, but mm-hmm. that we have a plan. We don't have a plan for story uh, necessarily, but there is a story. I mean, every, you, you walk into a factory that has a hundred people and there's a process to build this thing. That's a story. I just got to find out what the interesting points are and who the, the, the cool people are to talk to. I have to pare it down to make sense of it, you know, and I have to visualize how it will look on television. Yeah. It's really interesting. It's like the, it reminds me of what a journalist has to do, that they have yep. to find the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. Basically the same thing, yeah. So Mike talks about, you know, he has this thing about our grandfather's jobs, where he mm-hmm. talks about what his grandfather could do, but also that whole generation that they were really handy. And I personally can relate to that. My uh, grandfather in particular was very handy, very can-do a depression survivor worked all kinds of different jobs, picking cotton, worked in the cannery factories, and um, yeah, was uh, just a, a tough guy, not afraid of hard work. And actually, my father and husband are also very handy people. My sons, not so much. Yeah. But, and so, tell me what you see now in terms of people's ability to act as their own handyman. <laughs> wow, you know, we are so much, all so much um, used to automation and having information at a fing- at their, our fingertips at our laptops from wherever we sit. You know, we can sit outside in the back patio, we can sit at a, at a coffee shop, and, you know, we can learn whatever we want. You know, you can even learn how to do something that's handy, but it doesn't mean you're good at it. I mean, like mm-hmm. you, you need you need to apply a skill and you need to learn a skill and really perfect it. But I, I, I yeah, it's it's tough because I, I do think a lot of people are, are getting away from that. I mean, everything had to be done um, by hand. People built their own houses back then. People built their mm-hmm. own furniture. People, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, they had less access to food. So they raised their own chickens and things like that. They were more well-rounded as far as the physical things they had to do just to live. Mm -hmm. Um, Now we can, you know, have somebody else drive us to the grocery store. Mm -hmm. You know, think about that. You don't even have to drive yourself anymore. Uber, you know, is so prevalent. Things like those kind of rideshare programs are, you know, um, or just get things delivered. Yeah. Oh, I mean, that's yeah. You don't that's even have to get in the car. Didn't even think about that. Yeah. I guess I'm 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 a few months behind the times. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. The pandemic has brought yeah. that home. Yeah. I, I mean, and, and a lot of people finding that out now with the pandemic. It's like, oh, all of a sudden I gotta cook my own food. Oh, mm-hmm. I gotta I gotta change my own child's diapers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's actually happening. People, I have to teach my kids math. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I hear this all, all my, all these people are saying all this stuff. It's mm-hmm. like, uh, man, I don't realize how, how tough being a teacher was. Mm-hmm. Now my mom was a teacher, so I was able to appreciate that. So, mm-hmm. but, uh, my God, my God, it's, it, 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 people are, I think that's why, you know, everybody's, you know, essential workers, essential workers. I mean, that's what we feature in the show always anyway. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you know, a lot of people are talking about that and Mike's doing the rounds on television, you know, 
quite frequently in the last couple of months because of it. I see. Yeah. And uh, people are starting to get back to basics and <laughs> mm-hmm. realizing, you know, we don't have to leave our homes, but you know what? We might not have to, you know, we might not have to, but if you don't, you might also want to bake your own bread, which people are doing now. I mean, literally I saw, I think the I, I, early on uh, in this pandemic thing, the the hardest thing to get at the grocery store or order online was yeast. Sales were up nine hundred and twenty six percent because people everyone's like, oh, I got to bake my own bread all of a sudden. <laughs> it's like, what? It's funny that that happened. You know, you know. I know it's funny that that happened. It it is, yeah. There was kind of a momentum behind that. It, it's a little bit like the toilet paper thing. It's just I agree. People yes. latched onto. But yeah, I, I mean, I've wondered, I haven't seen a lot of references to it, but I've wondered if people are pulling out their toolboxes and doing things that they, you know, previously wouldn't have been doing. Yeah, all these, all these uh, quote unquote essential workers like plumbers and things are still out there and, and, and you know, for places that are, you know, quote unquote locked down, um, you know, they're still able to come around your home, but a lot less people are, are, are wanting to let them in their houses sure, because they're right. afraid of, you know, what the plumber might have but mm-hmm. so yes i think more people are fixing things themselves that they have to or um just going to wait it out so i don't not to be politically incorrect but a lot of these dirty jobs are done by men um which is a commentary on you know all kinds of different things our society but also occupational choice and and mm-hmm. also you know different physiques between average men and average women were there any jobs done by women that kind of struck you well it, it's interesting you know again yeah you make the comment about you know they're just the you know the the natural you know things that people you know consider that men and women can do whether it be you know uh, their the physicality, you know, their, their personal strength. So there were there were a lot of the harder labor jobs we did see less women in. But I got to tell you, I think a lot of the the brainier jobs, you know, the research jobs that were dirty, um, that also required dirty field work, you know, a lot of them were done by women. Hmm, and yeah, we we uh, went, you know going back to snakes again. Oh yeah, I mean because you know snakes are a thing and they're unpredictable <laughs> and uh, you know we visited a woman who was uh, a researcher uh, on the uh, Erie water snake uh, with Lake Erie in Ohio. Mm, And, and her job was to, you know, again, analyze the health of the the local snakes. And one way to do is you look at what they're eating, but Mm. you know, there's, you know, you can do that two ways. You can look at their poo, which is kind of hard to find. Or you can uh, get them, you know, while they're digesting because they take a long, um, uh-huh. they take a long time to digest their food. And they eat bigger fish, and you bring them back. You catch the snakes. You go out and grab them by hand, and they bite you, but they're not <laughs> deadly. I mean, we got some great footage of Mike screaming in that. Oh gosh! And and, uh, and then uh, you take them back to the lab and you puke them, and then oh. you see the the half digested fish, and then you analyze, you know, how how well they're doing as far as digesting and what they're eating and what their diets are, and you can start understanding, you know, the ecosystem through them. And I think that, you know, so a, a lot of a lot of the jobs that we did see women were uh, in were um, those sort of research jobs, and that just happened to be dirty that required certain field work. It's interesting, isn't it? I was talking to my family about that, about things that initially don't seem very interesting, 
it turns out once you start getting your head into it and start really looking into it, it turns out often things are a lot more interesting than you think. And I wonder if that kind of happens with dirty jobs too. Like at first you're kind of distracted by how gross this is, but then after you, you know, kind of get into it and start seeing what the purpose of it is, if that dirtiness or that grossness kind of goes away. Did, did that happen to you? Do you think? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, Obviously, the initial hook of the show is, you know, the, you know, the train wreck of looking at something dirty happening, you mm-hmm. know, uh, and, you know, a lot of people still watch for that. And, but uh, a lot of people liked meeting the people and, and oh, yeah. hearing Mike converse with these people. I mean, that was a popular theme that we kept on hearing mm-hmm. early on, actually, you know, how you know, it, they were interested in who would do these jobs and what motivates them. Uh-huh. I mean, listen, I, I'm, what words can I say on this podcast? Oh, yeah, you can say anything. Oh, oh man. Okay, <laughs> great. Well, I mean, one of we the just very igno- fr- we just ignore the FCC. <laughs> okay, I love that. Okay, so one of the one of the it's it's classic line. Um, it was said off camera, unfortunately, and I don't think it was repeated. But um, uh, I said the first three episodes were done in 03, and they were a series of uh, sort of pilots, and we visit mm-hmm. this guy who uh, cleaned out septic tanks in Wisconsin in Madison. And, and it was like, you know, wh- why did you get in? Why'd you get into this job? Mike asked him. And he said, you know, well, I was a psychiatrist beforehand oh. and I just got tired of people's shit. Oh, <laughs> figuratively. Yeah. <laughs> so he went, you know, he went to their literal shit. So, you know, <laughs> so, you know, it, it, it's just going back to your question, I guess, you know, it, people really wanted to see what, motivated and these characters were great people so we you know we we needed to uh also not just select via job but we we had to figure out where we're going based on cool people who had intelligent things to say about what their jobs were i mean and that's the thing is like a lot of jobs can get repetitive like oh yeah cleaning out you know this cage or this animal i mean you know it it had to be more than just cleaning poop Mm -hmm. uh because that's just not a story I mean, we have to tell a story. That's our obligation. And that's what really, sure, the initial train wreck of seeing crap all over the place is, is cool, but that, that goes away after 10 seconds, really. Mm-hmm. There has to be process, and you got to learn about what the process is, and you got to learn about the people. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I think the, I think this, the show really does trigger curiosity on the part of the viewer, which, which I just love that. Uh, so for the benefit of, of our listeners, though, I will say that there are some super cringeworthy jobs in there. Like there's lamb castrator and there's turkey inseminator. Mm. Um, but, you know, also some other ones where you just get kind of a behind the scenes view of something that you might not necessarily think about, like how is bologna made or, or uh, yeah, other things like that. Yeah, absolutely. We wanted to have that balance, you know, because, you know, people can relate to uh, where the food came from or want to learn uh, where the food came from. But in particular, like Mike always said, society has a real disconnect of where their food co- does come from. Mm-hmm. I mean, we just see this sliced up turkey come to our plates on every Thanksgiving and we don't know how it got there and who it took to actually process that turkey and raise that turkey. And the thing of it is, you mentioned the turkey inseminator. And the reason why we had a, that job has to be done the way it's done nowadays is because we want more food. We want bigger turkeys. Mm-hmm. And the turkeys were bred. So the males, you know, with, with the breasts, they're, they're, you know, everybody loves the breast meat. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're bred so big they can't mate naturally anymore. 
Right. So, you know, now someone has to suck the semen out and put it in a bottle and clamp a female upside down and squirt it in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who knew? Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean you know, that's, it's just crazy, but mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because, you know, the one tier of society demands, you know, you know, has their big family and needs a bigger Turkey. But again, going back to the foundation of society, who, who's actually, who's actually breeding these turkeys and how. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what's happening behind the scenes. So I think that's right. The show really does a lot to honor what Mike says in one of his little introductions, you know, earning an honest living, doing the kinds of jobs that make civilized life possible for the rest of us. Mm-hmm. So I think for many of us, it's like, oh, I'm glad you told us that, right? It just makes us better educated, more aware, appreciate these people, right? And honor them. Did you ever get people who were like, ooh, I don't want to know about that? <laughs> Well, I guess they just changed the channel. Okay. <laughs> I, uh-huh. you, know, you didn't but, get pushback from people. Like, you shouldn't be telling this. This is. This uh, is what... I, I don't think so. Um, I mean, there's, there's, there's a, initially there was some shock. I mean, the network initially didn't know what they were getting into. And some people were like, mm-hmm. you just did what to a horse? <laughs> you know? Uh-huh. But, you know, and there were, there were, there were some things early on that, our immediate network exec, she actually, um, you know, before one episode air, she, she said, I, I firmly expect to get fired today. I see. Oh, yeah. interesting. But she thought it was such a great episode. She said, screw it. We're going to put it on. And, huh. and, you know, she didn't, um, she's doing quite well. So discovery was pretty game for all this. Yeah, I, I think so. By and large, um, you know, it's just, it was, Back then, it was just so different. You know, mm-hmm. they weren't quite sure what to make of it because, it, you know, Discovery still may be the most recognizable, actually, most trusted brand in television is what they, you know, were actually, you know, pulled to be at one point. They, mm-hmm. you knew what you were getting. They knew it would be semi educational, you know. Mm-hmm. But, you know, then they started this, you know, this, this reality TV thing came on and this immersive host thing came on. And again, Dirty Jobs was sort of, at the forefront of all this kind of thing, you know, they already had stuff like American Chopper on and all these bike building shows and all that kind of stuff. But this was, you know, this was a little different because we were showing stuff that had never been on the network before or in television, you know, maybe PBS on occasion, but you know, sure. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they, 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 you know, a lot of stuff was like, Holy crap, you know, literally they, they, they had no idea, but they understood the value of it. I mean, you know, they, they weren't quite sure that it was on brand for them, but you know, it, there are certain things that we did. You learned more than your average hour of Nova. Right. You know, for those who don't know, it was a it's PBS science show Nova that, you know, mm-hmm. I, I loved watching and you know, it's absolutely true. We learned things through natural conversation and process. So tell us how the show was received. Like how, so it went for seven seasons. Is that right? That's right. And so tell us like, you know, how it grew in popularity, what things people liked. And I was going to throw in here, one of the things I think that's really fun about the show is the interaction between Mike and the crew. And I think at one point there's sort of a funny episode where he has to sign a waiver or according to the show, he has to sign a waiver. And so he like says out your name, you know, <laughs> David Barsky as he's, as he's signing the waiver. <laughs> well, yeah. again, you know, we didn't script anything. I mean, there were, there were places that, you know, we, we did, we did have to sign waivers for, and 
a lot of them it's funny it's like you know we want to get that stuff beforehand to know what we're getting into but sometimes they you know someone at a industry shop or whatever it was a factory would say yeah we'd love to have you come on the show and then all of a sudden their lawyers get involved and right like, oh. yeah. who's and then, coming you, yeah right, we yeah. and we get blindsided you know yeah, sure. um you know but you know it, most people are just amazing sports uh about everything because a they knew we weren't you know trying to expose them as you know being filthy or, or you know disregarding regulations or anything like that uh-huh. but you know they they understood the, the value of what we were doing and, and as long as, and they, they had confidence themselves to keep us safe if there was something like that too. I mean, but I think, like I said, you know, a lot of initially mostly food places were like, no, no freaking way. You guys can't come mm-hmm. in here. Uh, and the audience though, the audience love, I mean, like, listen, we were on seven years for a reason. I mean, I uh, see, you know, they, the initial order after the first three and Oh three, in 2005 we got 13 episodes okay and then you know that's sort of a half order back then for television you know 26 on cable was sort of the norm so they ordered what they called the back half of the first season with 13 another 13 episodes so they it was doing well they decided to spend more money on it and give us another 13 when that did really well they Mm -hmm. ordered 30 oh i see okay and it just you know so it was i mean it was look it we lasted seven years because the audience loved it and they got it. I see. Interesting. Really interesting. Yeah. So I was interested. There's sort of some hints on the Wikipedia article that there might be an interest in doing more, but, but actually, so tell us, so you actually went down to Australia and did some episodes down there. Yeah. I mentioned uh, the snake episode we did down there. We, at the time we were trying to expand internationally. Uh, not that we were running out of jobs per se, but, um, you know, just to have a bigger scope, just mm-hmm. so we we're going to do things in different countries for a season. Uh, but then, you know, we started looking into, we looked at several places. We looked at Italy, we looked at Australia, we looked at Russia mm. because believe it or not, the show discovery had sold the show to its international partners uh, like during the second season or something like that. And there was oh. actually a version done in Australia with two different hosts two different Australian hosts for about a season. Oh. There was a, a European version with a Polish, a former Polish soccer player who was, oh, wow. guess, yeah, that was done. I think they did about, I don't know how many episodes they did. Might've done 13, but he went all over Europe, you know, and did, you know, things that we did like pig farming and things like that. Mm. You know, affable enough people, but not, not Mike Rowe, you know, mm-hmm. uh, who, who has that perfect balance of, relatability and can articulate what he wants to know and, and just be fun doing it. So we, we initially thought, you know, we could do that, but we just realized how expensive it was all getting. And uh, television was changing. This was 2012 and mm. the, the naked and afraids of the world were coming in, you know, more, you know, um, sort of, I don't want to say sensational, but, you know, more risque things that, you know, and dirty jobs was sort of old hat at that time. Oh, I see. Yeah. And it was just getting too expensive. So we, you know, instead of going to Russia and Italy, we went to Australia because it was sort of low hanging fruit because at least they spoke the same language. Uh huh. But, uh, and that was about the end of it. Yeah. Yeah. So as I say, the Wikipedia article kind of hints that there might be uh, some revival of the show or some knockoff things. Do you think it's time has passed or what do you think? Well, I mean, as I sort of touched on before, I think now more than ever, it's it's ready. 
Mm, I see. People are understanding more. Uh, it's more in the zeitgeist, you know, because of what's going on in the world with, you know, COVID-19 and things like that. And uh, yeah, there's been talk. Yeah. I wonder if there's sort of a pendulum. Well, at least for me, I don't know. The whole reality TV thing seems kind of offensive. And so, yeah, maybe my uh, interest goes only to a certain level, but I wonder if other people's pendulum also might swing back like, okay, we've kind of had enough of the naked and afraid kind of thing. We want to hear about real people. Yeah. I don't know. These things are cyclical. You're absolutely right. And it's not just your, your, you know, your personal gauge. Um, you know, audience get tired of things. Although, I don't know, NCIS has been on for how long? <laughs> right. Yeah, certain uh, things. Yeah, but sure, good. They're good on them, you know. But as far as with real people, you know, yeah. But it's really bizarre. It's like I mentioned American Chopper, a show I actually worked on early on as well. Building motorcycles. I mean, those guys have been canceled and renewed. I don't know how many times. It's called you American know? Chopper. Yeah, American Chopper is mm-hmm. about two guys in Orange County, New York, who built choppers—a father and son—and oh. all they did was argue. So it was, you know, it was a, oh. <laughs> you know, and it was a completely unscripted. It was completely real. I mean, but they, they were building. <laughs> they were building cool bikes as well. I should say. I mean, that was their craft, uh-huh. and um, you know, they made a great living off it, and it was a huge success for Discovery. Um, Huge success for Discovery, and it started this whole build thing. They're still doing hot rod shows now. I see. Interesting. But, but you know, they became popular, and they're, you know, I think they're sort of on the wane as well right now. Mm-hmm. Well, it, to me, it's really fascinating. It's part of the reason I do this podcast is just to talk to real people about their jobs. And it just turns out so many people are just interesting to talk to. They're not famous, but, you know, they're just interesting characters to talk to and, and can be quite funny and yeah, I can imagine the father and son arguing could be pretty amusing. Oh, yeah. I don't know. People <laughs> loved it. People love it. So tell us what you're working on now and how has the pandemic affected uh, your work? Hollywood is, Hollywood, quote unquote, I guess I should say, is, is pretty much shut down. Okay. Yeah. You know, no matter where you go, I mean, I, productions, you know, shoot everywhere, of course, in the country, but mostly in larger cities. Um, you know, there are some things going on in Alaska with smaller crews right now, but even then, you know, okay. the crews that had to go in had to get, you know, quarantined for two weeks before they could begin. Oh. So I know of a few things going on. And of course there's sort of, you know, some studio shows that are shooting without audiences and taking all the precautions they can, but you know, there are going to be new rules now as a result of it. Um, so I was actually working, uh, we were actually starting the second season of a show called Straight Up Steve Austin uh, for USA Network. Steve Austin is also known as Stone Cold Steve Austin. He was probably, I, I can say probably, he's the most popular wrestler of all time. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, he, uh, with the WWE. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, uh, awesome guy. And so, you know, he, he had a podcast and, you know, he hasn't wrestled on television since oh three but you know every time he came back to visit you know wrestling still on you know the audience ratings would go up just to Mm -hmm. see him for five minutes so uh the usa decided they wanted to do a show with him and uh it's sort of a talk show because he can interview people he's really great at it and he's had a podcast anyways you know and so they know he's a proven quantity so we had where we took celebrities you know we had eight episodes i'm sorry seven episodes last season 
the first season we went around and you know interviewed people about their careers and had some fun and did it's sort of like uh comedians and coffee uh, comedians and cars getting coffee i think it's uh-huh, called uh-huh. you know except for you know we're not in cars we're in tanks and we're rolling over cars you know it's sort of like amped up like that a lot of fun. <laughs> okay yeah but but we also you know just to be steve austin but also um you know we sit down and we eat and we you know we we talk we have that lower you know that lower quieter moment where we lean in and and learn about the people hard. It was a half hour show. But anyways, we're in the middle of prepping and uh, that second season for that when this all hit. In fact, we were uh, one week away from shooting our first episode and we had to shut down just because, you know, we, we, was, we were going to shoot in Utah, actually, and visit somebody up there. And, uh, you know, even that state, you know, there's too many restrictions. Oh, there are too many restrictions because it doesn't sound that well, I mean, the going over cars and stuff, yeah, that would be. But but just two people talking to each other, it doesn't seem as though that would be that. Well, n- no, you're right. But the crew involved, you know, we have like 20 people on that show. Yeah, in that, and, and when they're saying no more than 10 people can be any any space and you can't be in a public space because we did some stuff outside and we we're going to go to this person's house as well. And going in the house would be fine. But at the same time, does this celebrity want? all of these people from California in his house, you know, who may or may not have this crazy disease. We don't know anything about yet. Yeah. I mean, again, you know, we were going to, we were a week away and I was like, man, I was saying, look, this is going to go away in two weeks or we're really in trouble. And uh, yeah, we turn, it turns out we're kind of really in trouble. I mean, uh, you know, I think things are, we're realizing more things about all this and, you know, things are, we're learning how to quote unquote socially distance and, and operate better. And I think we're in a place where, we're going to have to make some hard choices to keep, you know, a society and economy going, but Hollywood is still trying to figure out what to do. Uh, Monday on uh, May 25th, they are going to come out with some guidelines, hopefully, and, 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 and look to when we can open, but LA itself, where most of things are shot mm-hmm. and produced probably won't be open until July 4th. I see. So yeah. that's going to be prohibitive to us because we shoot half our episodes here in the Los Angeles area. Right. So we'll see. Huh. Interesting. Well, yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. Just as I'm sorry to hear about how disruptive it's been for so many occupations. I guess I kind of had this idea that, well, you know, maybe they can sit around and write scripts, but that's not really the way you work. Well, you know, they are able to write scripts, but you know, the, the, the thing of it is, you know, people can do that independently, you know, and we could still be pre- prepping our show, but when you get a budget from a network and you have to work with it, you can't like stretch it out and pay people their normal rates and, and things and the rate that they're contracted for X amount of months or infinite amount of months. Like, you know, we need to, we need to produce the show within a very set window to meet our budget. Oh, I see. And so people can write, but uh, what happens when they have to do rewrites, you know, later? Uh, But when is that? So, that kind of stuff um, is kind of on hold and the research to do shows is kind of on hold because we don't know when we can actually shoot it. Mm. So, or else what happens is it's like if, if they hire some people and they know they can do research and prep a show in one month, but you can't go out and shoot it for another six months, you might lose those people in, in, yeah. in between to another, to other work. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So a lot of people just waiting to f- see how, how this is all going to shake out and, uh, you know, look at crews and everything are already different in, in, in what they are trying to do with um, these studio talk shows and things like that. Who knows what crews, you know, sometimes have a hundred people on set, you know, yeah. 
I mean, I, I mean, they're already talking about, you know, no self-service and catering, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, all the, uh, right down to things you wouldn't even think of, you know, like how, how you can eat on set, you know, we just don't know. Well, when you get it all figured out, then you can come back on the show and tell us how it all worked. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. So before I let you go, is there anything that you'd like to share with the listeners about Dirty Jobs or how they could follow your work or anything you'd like them to know? Yeah, you know, I, I'm not I'm not sort of the guy who likes, hey, go to my Twitter or anything. I don't even have a Twitter, really. Um, I just look, you know, Dirty Jobs is a big part of my life and it'll always be with me and in fact you know i always said you know, look i'll never have it as fun you know mm. so i'm saying with my career and I, i've been i've been really lucky actually mm-hmm. uh, I've, I've enjoyed just about everything i've done and you know hey if you like my work i really appreciate it uh dirty job still gets repeated it's, it has not been produced for seven years but eight years now and discovery is still Discovery is is still uh, showing it. Oh, <laughs> really? Crazy. Oh, interesting. Yeah, they run marathons. I mean, all, every Labor Day, at least, they run a marathon. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. But, you know, forget about that. I mean, I, I just I, I want people to continually appreciate what nurses do, what plumbers do, what, uh, you know, septic tank cleaners do. Uh, and uh, I think that's important. We, we always realize that. Well, thanks so much for doing this show dirty jobs and also for doing my show. Thanks a lot. Hey, it was a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. I I think you have a very valuable show and and, uh, I hope it continues. Thanks for listening, everybody. Well, the pandemic isn't really over, but it seems as though we've moved into a different phase where our lives have a bit more normalcy. As a result, we're adjusting the format of the show back to fewer, more lengthy episodes airing on Tuesday and Friday and sometimes on Sunday, since those Sunday literary episodes have been very popular. Speaking of which, our downloads have exploded during the pandemic, so thank you for your patronage. If you like what we do, you can support the show through our Patreon page. Another way to support us, which doesn't cost anything, is to follow us or like us on Podomatic.com, and that will help us increase our visibility. Also, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a comment about who you are, what you like, or if you have a comment about the show. And finally, I also run a professional training company for people who want to advance in their careers with courses on communication skills, executive presence, and accent reduction. You can find out more at discreteguide.com, D-I-S-C-R-E-E-T-G-U-I-D-E. Please take care and let's talk again soon.